Good morning, everyone. How are you? Oh, that's a bit weird being there. Can't see you, Beth. Just going to move that. All right, um, my name's Esther. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm one of the leaders here at church. Um, and for our Sunday morning teaching series in April, um, we're taking on the days of Easter weekend. So, one big weekend. Uh, each of these days has a, a rich and deep significance that speaks into our world and our lives today. Uh, last week, Ben started us off um, with Friday, looking at Jesus' death. If you weren't here and you missed that, check it out online. It was great. Um, next week, uh, Esther's going to be talking about Sunday and resurrection, and Derek's going to finish it off as we think about Monday, asking the question, what's next when the weekend is apparently over and done. So that's the series that we're in at the moment. And sometimes, sometimes I wonder um, if we're a bit too quick to get to Easter Sunday. Like, so sometimes, as Good Friday is done, we race ahead. We miss out everything in between. We're desperate to get ourselves to Sunday. But as we all know, every single week, there's some space between Friday and Sunday. A whole other 24 hours. We have... Well done. That wasn't a trick. (laughs) Every week it happens. We have Saturday. Um, And Easter weekend is no different. So today uh, we've arrived at Saturday. And it's the in-between, slightly awkward space of deafening silence. And the writers of the books in the Bible that account for what we call Easter weekend, um, to be honest, they barely mention anything about this Saturday. Uh, Many Christians refer to this day of the week as Holy Saturday. Um, And I'm not sure, to be honest, if I'd ever clocked that myself, um, but I like it. I feel like it's really appropriate. Like this day that seems full to the brim with nothing, like it's holy ground, and it kind of makes me want to talk a little quieter and tread a little bit carefully. And this is a day for us to set apart, to hold up and to embrace, not to run away from. Like Holy Saturday is a space where I think most of us probably spend large chunks of our lives Like we're in this in-between place where we're waiting for God to show up. We're feeling a confusing mix of hope, despair, faith and doubt. So we're going to stop here a while um, and maybe try and find God in the silence of Saturday. So I'm, I'm going to pray. Yeah, Father God, yeah, thank you. Thank you for this space that we have now. Thank you that you're here, sat with us. And yet, as we, as we take this on, yeah, will you speak to us? I pray that we will hear, hear your voice. Will you unlock stuff in us? Will you release something amongst us today? Yeah, Holy Spirit, will you fill this place? Amen. So we're going to read some verses from the book of Luke in the Bible. 
Um, so Jesus has just been crucified, and these verses are kind of the bridge between Friday and Sunday. Um, and as I said, we don't get lots of information in detail, but here's what they say. Uh, the verses are on the screen. So this is Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 50 to 56. Uh, it's the burial of Jesus. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So, I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations for a bit. Um, we're going to just like, spend a few minutes and try and put ourselves into this story. So, it's been an indescribable 24 hours like your friend, your teacher, the person you've given everything to follow, the man you'd hope was the fulfillment of all those old scriptures and promises, he has been mercilessly crushed, beaten, and killed slowly in front of you. And you're numb. But it's heading towards sunset and the start of the Sabbath, the day of the week where, as a Jew, you rest. So... You get practical, and maybe in that robotic kind of way that you do sometimes when you're feeling a bit numb, and maybe you're just glad to be able to do something. And so you take Jesus' body down from the cross, and you put it in your tomb. You prepare some spices and perfume for his body, but then the sun sets. Like, it's the Sabbath. So you do what you do every Saturday. You rest. And I don't know how good you are at resting. For me, I find it easier to rest when I'm somewhere different um, or when I don't feel life's pressures, when I'm not so busy, when my head is calm and peaceful. Resting is hard when my emotions are running high, when I'm feeling uncertain and unsure of what's happening in and around me. And when I feel like that, my resting tends to look a bit more like distraction. So I distract myself by giving myself stuff to do, keeping busy. But if we put ourselves in the position of the women here, like we can't, we can't do this. Our religion commands rest every single week. And this week is no different so we're being asked to rest in what is probably the hardest time and space to find rest and peace. Like, imagine what the women have experienced in these last couple of days, what images they see every time they close their eyes. Like they had a job to do, to look after Jesus' body, but they had to wait. They rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And where was God in all this? 
he was silent. And so I was at um, an Ebby prayer gathering a month or so ago, and, uh, and we were praying out loud together as a group, and I, I started a prayer with these words. I said, thanks God that you're always speaking to us, dot, dot, dot. And that, that's really been going round and round in my head as I've been preparing this. And I know, I know the sentiment that I had behind that. But actually, as a statement, it's not true. Like, God isn't always speaking. Sometimes, sometimes he's silent. And the confusing thing, thing is that when we read the Bible, we see that God talks lots. Right at the start of the Bible, in the creation story, we're given a picture of a God who speaks the world into existence. In the first three chapters of Genesis, God talks with Adam and Eve, and we see the kind of relationship that God wants with human beings, and it involves a lot of conversation. And I could go on and on. There are loads of examples in the Old Testament of God talking to all kinds of individuals and people groups in all kinds of diverse and sometimes, frankly, ridiculous ways. And this is what God does. Like, he talks to us and he talks with us. Yeah? But actually, there are huge chunks of time in the Bible when God doesn't speak. Uh, so the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years before God spoke and acknowledged their pain out loud. And then there's the gap between the end of the Old Testament part of the Bible and the start of the New Testament, like apparently another 400 years where God didn't seem to have much or anything at all to say. So... Like, what do, we, what do we do with this? What do we do when God is silent? And one of the awesome things about the Bible is that it's not censored so that we only get the good stuff. It's not all about the, the sunshine and mountaintop experiences of people whose faith is unshakable, whose lives only go well and always see God answering prayers left, right, and center. Like, we are encouraged to be honest, to let out the hurt and frustration, to keep crying out, to keep praying, even when God is silent. And again, there are a load of examples that we could have a look at, but here are um, just three. Uh, The first one is a guy called Job, who basically is the man who has everything, than the man who literally loses everything. And he says, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. And then from Psalm 22, this is David. And we read the Psalms and they're full of honesty of the good stuff and the bad stuff in life. And David says, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And then there's Lamentations, a book in the Bible whose very definition, it means a passionate expression of grief and sorrow, or a complaint. This is a whole book in the Bible. And it says in Lamentations, even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. 
And these are the real lives of the writers. This is like reading someone's diary. It's listening in on their most raw and honest prayers. This, like, this is real life. And we're encouraged to be honest. But again, like, what do we do with God's silence? How do we live in that? Because it's a painful place to be, isn't it? There's um, a guy called Pete Gregg who he wrote a book called God on Mute a while back. And there's loads of really helpful stuff in it about all of this. I totally recommend it. And um, here is a bit from that book. Um, he says, Although seasons in our lives when God is silent may be important in our spiritual growth, they can also be deeply disturbing. As a result, we often attempt to solve the problems of God's silence with simplistic explanations of complex situations, lopsided applications of scripture, and platitudes of premature comfort. Why can't we wait with the mess and pain of Holy Saturday unresolved? That's a big question, isn't it? Um, So I think as Christians, um, we don't often do well when we don't have things or when we don't have God nicely kind of boxed. Like we freak out and we think not having answers or saying I don't know or saying nothing at all. We think that that shows a lack of knowledge or a lack of faith. Like sometimes we're just, we're like we're not very good at waiting. But in real life we can't fast forward, we can't skip past the bits we don't like. Like Joseph of Arimathea, like the two Marys, Joanna, and the other women whose names we don't know, like the 11 disciples and the rest of Jesus' followers, we've got to wait it out. We have to sit through Saturday. So I'm hesitant to come up with any answers about God's silence, mostly because I don't have any. Um, But just think a good starting place for us is to acknowledge that, yes, sometimes God is silent. And that, yes, we need to be honest with God about the silence and in the silence. Like, he encourages us to do that. And these aren't answers, but I've got a few thoughts to share that I hope might be helpful for us to keep hold of when we're experiencing God's silence, when we're, when we're experiencing our own Holy Saturdays. So the first thought is, uh, silence does not equal absence. Silence can be uncomfortable. When I was thinking about this, I thought about standing up here and saying nothing and seeing how long we could all bear it before one of us made a noise. But then I'd figure that I'd definitely crack first. (laughs) So we didn't go there. But like, our culture today is, is pretty noisy, isn't it? Like, something terrible happens in the world and we have easy access to all kinds of media. We can comment on hashtag and we can share as much as we like via our own social media. And I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but there's something powerful about presence and silence together. Um, in March this year, which was weirdly only last month, Um, three people were killed and three seriously injured in a shooting on a tram in Holland. 
And on the Friday of that same week, a couple of thousand people gathered together to silently remember and stand with those affected. affected sorry. And I watched um, a short video of this, of a couple of thousand people just stood together in silence. And it gives me goosebumps now, just thinking about it. It was, it was powerful. And I think those, those couple of thousand people stood together in silence was probably more powerful than any words. Like Silence does not equal absence. Uh, a guy called um, Alan Emerson, he lost his wife um, of not even two years, called Lindsay, to cancer. Um, he was 27 and she was only 23 when she died. Um, and he's written a book called Luminous Dark. And it's, again, totally recommend it, an uh, unbelievably honest account of his darkest moments, unanswered prayers and questions about whether his faith could survive. And uh, this is something he, he says in his book. I didn't like it at the time, but I have, but I have come to learn that silence is sometimes the more appropriate response to anguish and pain. And I think, I think we understand that on a human level. Like sometimes we don't need or we don't, we don't want words, do we? Like sometimes we just need someone to, to sit with us in it. And so then that made me think, like don't, don't you think that God, as our Father, he gets this too? that sometimes silence is the more appropriate response to grief and pain. Like, what was God doing for the duration of Holy Saturday? Like, he was present. He was there with Joseph, with the women, as they waited for Sunday. Like, God's silence does not mean his absence. Like, his silence doesn't mean it's not a lack of response, a lack of care. Like sometimes silence and presence are the most powerful response, the most powerful show of solidarity, the most powerful demonstration of love. And the Bible is full of statements promising that God will never leave us, that no matter what we might feel, that God is never absent. And sometimes like, we've got to try and hold on to that. And as Jesus left life here on earth, he promised this. In Matthew 28, he said, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like, surely I am with you always. Whatever's going on, whatever you feel, I am with you always. So silence does not equal absence. The second thing is Sunday is coming. Like, Sunday is coming, that's a, it's a, I don't want to say a saying, it's something that we often say around this time of year, and I get it, it's pointing us forward, it's looking ahead to the awesomeness of Jesus beating uh, death and his resurrection, and that, of course, is a good thing, it's something to look forward to, it's probably a big understatement, but you get me. Sometimes, though, like, as I've said earlier, I think we can skip ahead too quickly, And we miss out the significance of Saturday 
in our desperation to have the silence answered. And sometimes I think we can use this Sunday is coming as a bit of a, it's like a spiritual platitude, like telling someone it's all going to be okay and other unhelpful things that we might say that can invalidate someone living in the painful silence day after day. It's a, it's a really, really tricky balance in all of this. But in the verses that we read from Luke, at the time that this long weekend was happening, Jesus' followers didn't know how long their Saturday was going to last. Like They didn't know, or at least they weren't totally certain that Sunday was coming. Like I, I really wish that there was more detail in the Bible on this because I'd love to know like, the thoughts and the questions and the conversations that were happening in amongst all of Jesus' followers on this Saturday. But like, when, Jesus, when Jesus was alive, he told his followers several times that he was going to die and rise again. Like really, he could not have been any clearer. But we read in Luke 18, verse 34, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And then if we skip ahead to Luke 24, we read about two of Jesus' friends um, on a walk to a place called Emmaus. And this is what they said to Jesus about Jesus. This is verse 20. There you go. Uh, yeah, Luke 24, verse 20. Um, so these are two of Jesus' friends. This is what they're saying. The chief priests and our rulers handed, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And just, I just think in these two bits of Luke, you can you can just kind of see the different dynamics that are kind of going on there. Um, and, that, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. That's a hugely loaded statement, isn't it? Like there's a, a glimmer of hope, maybe a, a recollection of something Jesus said. Like something somewhere was resonating. But the in-your-face reality of seeing having seen Jesus on the cross, that Jesus dead. Like the reality of that was clouding any confidence and certainty that Jesus' friends had. And for me, like this, this is what my Holy Saturdays feel like. A messy and often confusing mix of, of hope and despair, and trying to hold on to Jesus, to hold on to the memory of Jesus and what he's done and what he's said to me in the past, and like trying to like fight through those clouds that get in the way. Like Holy Saturdays are messy. But here's the thing: like unlike the people we've read about in Luke, we get to live the other side of Easter Sunday. Like, Sunday isn't coming. Sunday has happened. And nothing can change that. Our hope 
is in Jesus who has risen from the dead. We still experience unanswered prayers, loss, pain, grief, and silence. But this is a truth, concrete and firm, that impacts today and gives us hope for tomorrow. Sunday. Sunday has happened. And the, the final, final thought that I want to share is, and it is, is to do with this word, Holy. I think we can easily write off the times in our lives when God is silent. Because maybe we feel far away from God. Maybe we have just like the longest list of doubts and questions. Maybe we even question whether we believe in God anymore. Maybe we think it's our fault that God is silent. Maybe it just hurts too much. But I really, really believe that these times are holy. Like holding on to Jesus, holding on to the truth that God is present even when you can't feel him, holding on to the truth that Sunday has happened, even if it's only just or maybe, maybe especially if it's only just. I, like that takes amazing faith and amazing courage. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're in this place right now, or you've been in it, don't, don't write off this time. I know it hurts, and it's painful, and you want to get through to Sunday. But... There's something, there's something holy in these Saturdays when God is silent. And Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And in chapter 21, um, we get a picture of what is to come. We get a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, so this is from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And yes, this is a, an ultimate picture of what things will look like in the future. But in these verses, this loud voice from heaven is also saying, I am making everything new. Not I will, but I am. Like God is doing this now. And we get to be a part of it. And maybe we, we only see glimpses. But we see bits of it in our communities, in our world, being made new. And we see it in our own lives. And hopefully we see it in the lives of people around us.
God says, I am making everything new. So in amongst, in amongst the silence of Holy Saturday, like when it looks like God has turned his back, when he's silent, he is in the process of making everything new. And in in Exodus, um, God reveals who He is to Moses in a in a personal way. He He tells Moses His name, Yahweh, which is us and God getting personal. And um, so the word Yahweh is made up of um, four Hebrew vowels, Y-H-W-H. And some theologians have said that when you say these letters phonetically, it resembles the sound of our breathing. So when you say, yeah, ha, wa, ha, and repeat that, it resembles the sound of our breathing. And that, like that is how close God is. He's closer than the sound of our breath. And maybe God doesn't give us answers, but in the silence he gives us himself. Bigger than our pain, Bigger than our explanations, he's closer than our breath. Um, so we're going to take a bit of time now. Um, we've got communion to take together. Um, and we're doing this a little bit differently this morning. We've got four tables, a couple at the sides, two at the back. Um, and I think like, sometimes in church we can be just like a bit passive. Um, and so I just yeah felt like it would be good to do communion together this morning that involves us if we can, getting up and going to take it as a, yeah, I guess like taking a step towards Jesus. Like Jesus' invitation is for everyone to share this meal together. There are no exclusions. It's an open invitation. So if yeah, if you'd like to do that, to take some time to remember what Jesus has done on Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday and beyond. Um, yeah, communion is a good space to do that. Um, equally, if don't, please don't feel like you have to feel totally free to sit where you are. Um, also, um, we've got the cross at the front in the corner here. And... 
I know post-its don't change the world, but sometimes they're quite helpful. And if, if you want to get some stuff out and give it to God, maybe you've got some unloading to do, like Job, like David in the Psalms, like the Book of Lamentations, and it's helpful for you to write that down on a post-it and leave it at the cross or write it down and take it away with you. Whatever you want to do, if there's something, yeah, if a kind of practical response is helpful, then that is there for you to do um, as well. Um, so we're going we're gonna to do that now. Um, the band are going to come up a little bit later, but we're just going to do that in silence now. So, yeah, take some time. Ask God what he's saying. Maybe he's being silent, but if he is, know that he's sat next to you. Yeah, Father, yeah, thank you that your silence doesn't mean that you're absent. Yeah, thank you that you are you're closer than our breath, that as we breathe in and out, we breathe you, you close to us, you in that relationship with us that is so intimate and personal. And yeah, Jesus, thank you that Sunday has happened. And yeah, Father, where we're experiencing your silence. And that is, that is painful. And it's a disturbing, uncomfortable place to be. Yeah, I pray that we will know the holiness of you in that. And that, yeah, Father, that we will hear, hear you say or that we will know you're saying, I am making everything new. Thank you that that is today. It's not just something in however many millions or whatever years time. Yeah, thank you that you are making everything new. Yeah, amen. So yeah, please feel free to take communion however you want. Um, stay where you are feel free to use the cross Um, yeah thank you